John keeps reiterating, he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. The material world is good, and it's God's good world, um, and it's fallen, so Jesus came into it to help us. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. And Amy. Good morning. Hi, everybody. We are in the Christmas season. Everybody got their shopping done already? No. Uh, no. <laughs> what shopping? <laughs> My kids uh, are clean, please. <laughs> hey, kids still like presents, Karen. My kids mostly like stockings, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you, you kind of do get to a point where you're like, you know what? I don't really need gifts. It's still no, fun to buy. give them. I mean, I like yeah. to, I like to, I like to give them, but I don't necessarily need to get them. You know, not like, not like a little kid. I did a. Stockings, stockings are just fun though. Stockings were always like the big point of hilarity at my house. Yeah. You can fill them with joke stuff or fun, you know, fun stuff or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes the stockings can be as expensive as the, as a, as a regular gift too. Well, I try to mix it. I try to have a mix of like really cool things, but they're small, right? Like they fit in the, they fit in this, in the sock. And, and I try to have a mix of really cool things and then just ridiculous things or slightly <laughs> mm. offensive things. I'm fine with any of that. <laughs> Keep them yeah. on the toes. <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I did uh, a few years ago, I did some of the love language tests, you know, and gift giving came out high on mine. Once upon a time, it was like the highest, but it's not quite as much anymore. But um, gift I find giving it... isn't a love language, Matt. It it's is. Receiving. No, gift giving. I think it's just gifts. Well, it's either way. Yeah, gifts, but either way, <laughs> giving or receiving. But but uh, and I'm, I'm not saying I don't enjoy receiving gifts, but um, I enjoy I do enjoy giving them when I'm able to see something that somebody, you know, might yeah. like. And <laughs> and uh, and then I always try to assure people because sometimes people take that as a um, an obligation then to give me something back. And, you know, folks receiving a gift is not necessarily an obligation to reciprocate. No. Sometimes not half just, of a social formula. It's just a thing. Yeah. Sometimes people just want you to have a thing. It's just, it's just, you know, Hey, I, I saw this, I was thinking of you and, uh, and, and that's it. You know, it's all there is to it. Don't, don't think like you have to give me something back, but if you want to give me something back, <laughs> I have one kid that's a gifts person. And I have one kid that's, you know, speaking of the love languages and I have one kid that's a, um, What's it called? Time, quality time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have I have one of each of those, which made giving and uh, negotiating a family household kind of interesting when they were little. And to this day, you know, the 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 gifts kid is super easy to shop for. Like ideas just leap off the shelf into my cart wherever I am. And then my my other kid, you know, I have to call him up and ask and be like, "Do you need anything?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, for me, both of those and and, and uh, quality time is a high one within my family, totally, you know, as as a whole, because it's a high one for me, too. And I find that really the, the gift giving and the quality time, at least for myself, kind of intertwine because I see time. If you're giving me your time, that's a gift as well. So I, I, I value nice. it. Yeah, I, I value it. I value it every bit as much. So. Uh, but but like I said, if you want to give me something, um, 
I'm not going to turn it down. Because <laughs> I do like getting stuff. Stuff is fun. <laughs> I'm not going to deny my materialism. <laughs> <laughs> Matt embraces his inner child. Give me presents! Presents! <laughs> oh, well, with that, let's get into our discussion today, which is not entirely un... Um, oh, what's the... I can't even think now. Uh, 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 uh. See, it gets all starry-eyed when we talk about presents. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm thinking forward to Christmas morning and seeing what <laughs> Santa brought me. <laughs> They're not unrelated. Hey, Matt, I need to yes. talk to you about something. That guy, Santa? Don't. Don't. <laughs> Don't do it. You're going to rally. You're going to rile up our millions and millions of uh, listeners. I'm going to. I'm going to text your wife. I feel like you two need to have a talk. <laughs> I believe in Santa Claus and you can't make me stop. Okay. Well, anyway, that, that idea of gift giving at Christmas and our discussion today are not entirely unrelated because we recently uh, were discussing about the Christmas story as Described in the Bible, which of course does not include Santa Claus. The actual Christmas story. Oh, you're right. You're right. I've been looking for that part. <laughs> that part where Santa Claus is kneeling at the manger. That's in Luke chapter one point five. <laughs> oh, thank you. I couldn't find it. No, oh, sorry, folks. It's not there. It's, it's a very there. particular apocryphal scroll. <laughs> No, you know, it is interesting because there's really two separate Christmases that happen at the same time. There's the Santa Claus snowmen and reindeer Christmas, and then there's the birth of Jesus Christmas. And I have no problem with either one of them. I enjoy both very, very much. So anyway, <laughs> we're not here to talk about Christmas, though, because we've already discussed about the birth of Jesus after 400 years of Basic, at least as far as scripture is concerned, silence. We haven't heard anything. We hadn't heard anything uh, since the book of Malachi before we get into the Gospels. And that's a span of 400 years where really there's nothing, at least as far as the Bible is concerned, there's nothing being talked about. Wouldn't you hate to be like, you know, you get to heaven and you're like, yeah, no, all of human history was covered with important writings except me. No, I lived in that window where nothing important happened. That was me. <laughs> yeah. Me and all my descendants, we lived right there in that mm. gap. You know, and, you know, it would be it would be interesting possibly to know if there I, I'm sure there were things written. You know, there had to have been stuff that happened. But it's just, it's not there's written down. There's books that were written, and there's some really sure. interesting history. But there's nothing, I guess the thing is, there's nothing crucial to the gospel itself that happened. So there was, there was important things about the development of Israel or the, you know, the slide into Roman power, or, you know, the, was it the statue, you know, the, uh, the statue in Daniel 2 with the different parts, you know, this is when the legs of iron was rising mm -hmm. to power, right? And we basically don't even hear about it until it already happened. But there was some really interesting historical stuff that happened then, but not necessarily important spiritual gospel stuff. At least that's kind of my understanding from what I've read. Right. Yeah. It had already been sort of covered, like you say, with, with Daniel, that that progression of of kingdoms and, and such before we got to Jesus and, and the occupation by Rome. 
Yeah, so I was going to say that too. I feel like maybe that's why some of that stuff is in Daniel because, you know, the people are waiting for the salvation of Israel and they're waiting for the Messiah. And then they go through all these different kingdoms. You know, the Seleucids take control. They they have the Romans eventually seize the kingdom and, and they're under foreign power. And then, so are they thinking, is God still watching over us? Does he really care about us? But then if they were studying the prophecies, they're like, well, he did talk about this. You know, so I think... Maybe that is a huge part of why we have prophecy, just to comfort us when things look super weird. Yeah, and there are moments of spiritual silence, and that gets to be our song then. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so as we get into um, our discussion topic today, then we, we today we start talking about a gospel that we didn't talk about through the birth of Jesus. And so today is a, we begin with the book of John. And John's gospel is vastly different than the other gospels. When you have uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark is the earliest written gospel. Mark and Luke largely expand on what Mark had written. And if I'm not mistaken, Luke's gospel is actually more of um, Peter's gospel. Am I? Yeah. I believe that that's, that's more uh, from the perspective of Peter, but Luke is the one transcribing it. And then Luke goes on to write the book of Acts. But John, John's gospel is not what we consider or what is called a synoptic gospel, because while his gospel does intersect with the others at times, his has a very different point of view in how he presents material, what he presents. Sometimes he talks about things the other gospels don't even touch on, and he comes at it all from just a, from a, different, from a different angle than the others entirely. And so that's part of why we've waited to talk about John until now, in part because he doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus at all. And but at, at the same time, he's also coming at it with some thoughts that the others don't present. John is by far my favorite book. And it's just that it's so spiritual, like there's so much richness in it. And and John is a fisherman. And that to me is so fascinating because he is this person who is, you know, in the world doing work um, and, and just a regular guy. And then he writes the most profound book in all of human history. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I like that because I'm thinking the same thing too, is, is how it starts. You know, when, when I, uh, when I read it, it's, it's almost like his everything. God is his everything. Just by the way it's starting, you know, the first, I don't know, uh, night, maybe 16, 16 verses in First John. It's everything. God is everything. Everything to me. And I think back to, and, you know, like um, Amy was saying that he's a fisherman, but, you know, sometimes I think you could get pretty introspective out on the, out on the water when it's just you and, and nature and God and the sea. Spoken like a sailor there, Tracy. There you go. <laughs> That's cool, Tracy, too, because I know you and I both work in medicine. And I remember when I was studying the sciences, just being overawed, like his creation is so powerful. And when you see what he has created, you can see him. And so I'm sure that was part of it, too. Yeah. You know, maybe one other thing, too, is we have to remember that John wrote during the rise of Gnosticism. And so John keeps saying this one thing over and over, and that's that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And, and this is really important because Gnosticism 
was the belief that the, the body and the, and the spirit are separate entities and whatever you do with your body doesn't matter. Um, mm. But, you know, John keeps reiterating, he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. The material world is good and it's God's good world um, and it's fallen. So Jesus came into it to help us. You know, John's mm -hmm. the bomb, man. He is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, John's perspective comes at this, like I said, he presents a thought that I don't think the others, at least at the point that we've read, read up to at this point, the others haven't really expressed, I don't think, not in an articulate way, maybe in a way that we've come to ex uh, uh, believe over time, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't come right out and say it where John does in his very first verse. And, you know, like you, Amy, John is your first, your favorite book. I think John 1, 1 is probably at least one of my very favorite verses in the Bible because of its very explicit description of who Jesus is. And it begins, I'm, I just want to read it here. Um, I'm just going to read like the first five verses here because I think it's so powerful. Okay. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John comes right out in his first chapter, and as you continue to read, you understand he's talking about Jesus. He comes right out and says Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who made us. When we're reading about Genesis, we're reading about Jesus when we're reading about the the time um, of of the Israelites, uh, the, the Exodus, we're reading about Jesus. When we read about the exile and the return, we're reading about Jesus. And so, like you were saying, Tracy, Jesus is the everything. He is he is over the entire story. And this one that we just read about a baby being born, that was the God of the universe, the creator himself, who came, as you said, Amy, in flesh, in a way that we could touch and feel and interact with, um, in a way unlike anything that maybe anybody had comprehended that God would ever do uh, before. I was just going to point out verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what a sad statement that is, too. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. You, if When you really think about it, you know, Jesus is our creator, but we didn't even recognize him. We couldn't even tell. We couldn't even see that it was him. Why? Because our blinders are on. It certainly isn't that, you know, as we study his life, we're going to see that there he did things that nobody before him ever really did. But yet we just. They just didn't see it. And I, I would I would wager to say we wouldn't either, because um, as much as we're looking for him, I, I, I just I suspect we wouldn't recognize him because uh, we probably all have in our minds something other than than what he would come to be. Um, not, not only did the world not know him, but he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. So, the, yeah, verse 10 is kind of a doozy there. Mm hmm. Um, what do you guys think of the fact that in verse one, Jesus is called the word? That is an interesting statement, the word. And I had to think of, yeah, if you think about what words are, and I, I have put a little thought into this, um, 
a word is an expression of thought. Um, it's a, it's an articulation of ideas. And so describing Jesus as the word to me is, is kind of saying that he is the culmination of what God has always intended. And he's the one who does the stuff largely, or at least that's my, my take on it, that he is the one who has expressed him, has expressed God's desires probably the most our interaction largely seems to always be through Jesus when we talk about Christophanies and things like that you know the those those times when Jesus showed up before you know in the Old Testament um, we see that Jesus is the creator that he is it's somehow it's like he is like the pivotal part of the trinity which we'll talk about the trinity in a little bit but he's like the pivotal part where like the action happens is sort of how i see it so as the word to me it's like he's the expression of concepts well two things one of the things you said was he is like the the where the action is um when i was in college i remember looking up the word crucial just because I didn't, in context, it seemed odd at this one moment. And the word crucial actually means as pertaining to a cross. So I look at, I've held on to that because I feel like, wow, the most crucial moment in all of human history was the cross and in the whole history of the universe. Um, But but what I was actually going to say first was yesterday on my hike, I decided to read Revelation 19. And I just want to read a couple of verses for you guys. Verse 11, and I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he who sat upon him is called faithful and true. Uh, his eyes were as flames of fire and his he- and on his head were many crowns. He had his name written there, which no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. So mm. that's exactly what Karen was just talking about. Yeah. Well, just for fun, I went and and looked all of that up in the concordance. So the word, the word, the Greek word for word <laughs> is um, logos, but it comes from a, a root word of lego, which means speaking to a conclusion, which mm. I thought was kind of interesting. Mm. And then it basically kind of gives this, uh, it says, used pre is preeminently used when speaking of Christ expressing the thoughts of God through the spirit. So again, the crossroads, the, the cross, the crucial part of the Godhead. So yes, where, where God through the father and the spirit manifested here. But I like that speaking to a conclusion. Um, another, uh, the, the literal definition of it, how it is logos, says embodiment of an idea so i was right i was right for once folks yeah you were totally spot on i was kind of <laughs> chuckling while i listened to him i was like well you know, i was like oh look at him go hmm. <laughs> see how smart i am i am so smart <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah anyway i thought that was really interesting and quite apt Love like it. i liked it yeah so that's i mean that's pretty good insight i think on john's part to to use that word uh to describe to describe jesus and and um yeah, that how'd you put it? The embodiment to the um, fulfillment, or something like that. Something like Speaking that. Speaking to but, a conclusion, the embodiment conclusion. of the Father through the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And so that is that is Jesus's role 
like he is the all encompassing all all everything. Um, he's the he's the one that we have the physical interaction with. You know, as we get into Acts, you know, we'll well we're even going to talk about the Holy Spirit some today, but we're it's just like Jesus is the one who physically. You know, in a in a way that we can comprehend, we can, you know, even if we don't have an exact physical picture of Jesus in our head, you know, we have the paintings and stuff and these ideas of what Jesus looked like, which are probably completely wrong, but we can still we still have something that we can imagine, uh, something that we 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 can we can understand in a way better than we can understand the Father or the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, I can't hardly grasp my my brain around what the Father and the Holy Spirit are, but I can imagine Jesus. I can imagine, I can imagine a man. I can imagine somebody reaching out to a leper, and and I can imagine somebody, you know, putting mud on somebody's eyes to heal them, and that kind of thing, uh, in a way that. Uh, that the Father and the Holy Spirit just kind of remain ethereal and and ungraspable. I know that's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It is now. It is now. <laughs> I told you, I'm smart, people. I think it's really uh, literarily interesting how John weaves in the story of John the Baptist into these tremendous theological insights. Like these are the world's greatest theological insights. This is what we can understand about God. And then he says, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so he's telling the story of the coming of John the Baptist. And through that story, he's revealing the incarnation. It's interesting in in terms of just literature. Mm -hmm. Well, and... John seems we're going to get confused here between John the Apostle, John the Baptist, but John the Apostle seems to be presenting this was especially with John the Baptist because the other guys don't as much. I, I don't know. They're there. But the, the the idea that John the Baptist was foretold, maybe not as much as Jesus, but he was foretold and he is that stepping stone into what Jesus is. He's the one there to prepare them. Get yep. your mind in the right place because there's something coming that you guys probably weren't counting on. Basically, what you're saying, Matt, is in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Mm. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Like that's the story of the gospel right there. So, you know, the Jesus' disciples even were like, well, show us the Father. And he's like, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, he was here to be a smaller but perfect reflection of the Father. When, when the, Okay, did you, ever, did you guys ever do the thing when there was like a, a solar eclipse when you were little? You could put, take a pinhole, just mm-hmm. a pinhole, and put a pinhole in a piece of paper and hold it hold the pinhole paper up above a plain, unpunctured piece of paper, and you could see an exact outline of yep. what was happening with the soul. Like, you can't look at the sun, even right. if it's partially got something over it. You can't look at the sun, but you can see this, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what Jesus did, which is why, Matt, you can look at Jesus and connect with God. Like, oh, that's how it works. Now now I understand how and why God does the things he does, because I've seen it in action through Christ the Son. Like, he came down here to be a smaller, less bright version that we could walk right up to and engage with. Mm-hmm. But yes. still an exact rec- replica. Yeah, 
Yeah. The, br- the bridge to man. Yep. Right. Um, you know, and like we were saying, you know, I look at John the Baptist as, you know, I think it kind of sums up everything that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. You know, and I, I look at that as he was prepping. He was getting ready. He was say, laying down, getting people ready for for the word. And I think that was, you know, when you look at it, how how um, how important that mission was. Because before that, there was there was nothing like that. There was no bridge to that. And once again, I think as you go through and everything we've gone through, um, they still weren't ready for it. You know, even in light of somebody going there and talking about it and trying to prepare them, they still were not ready. Right. It's a need well, I was to... just going to affirm what Karen had said. I think that's so fantastic because we tend to be terrified of God um, until we look at Jesus. And then when we look at Jesus, we're like, oh, he's nice. Like, he's so kind. He, uh, you know, there's a story coming up where, it, you know, it says, if you wanted to, you could heal me. And he immediately says, oh, I want to. Um, mm-hmm. And right there is where I feel like, I'm attracted to God. Like he's friendly. He's kind. He wants to help us. He can see right into our pain and he goes, Oh, I love you. And, um, and so what Karen said is so important because now we can see God. Yeah. And John, the apostle in his writing then here, he, he starts to show that there's a shift in thinking the way stuff is going to work in verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We've spent the last three years looking at the Old Testament at everything that was looking forward to things. And the law came up over and over and over again, where the people were expected to keep it. They were expected, or at least to try. Um, They failed miserably over and over and over again didn't diminish that the law didn't diminish the importance of it, but um, it became brutally obvious through the Old Testament that the people were incapable of it. They just simply they couldn't do it. And we with our even with our best intentions, we can look at it and try. But the fact of the matter is we are going to fail because it's just it's not in our nature. It's not in our nature to be able to do it. We are, we're living on a sinful world and, and, uh, our, our, our desires, unfortunately, are not always where they should be. You know, I think exactly what you're saying too, you know, you have the commandments, you have 10 of them and, you know, their, their whole journey to, to stay connected to God, it, it didn't work out. We see it over and over that they, they fell short. They got, they got taken, you know, um, their attention got taken off God by other idols, by self. And what we have in that period that we kind of talked about earlier is we have the the legalistic model that they came up with 600 plus more rules to try to prevent that from happening and for them to stay true to God. But they lost their way again. They lost mm-hmm. their way in, in, in light of all the rules to maintain that connection they lost their connection and i think this was exactly what john was talking about this is the connection that they needed to mankind or that god intended to be mm-hmm. the connection for all mankind mm-hmm. and interestingly you know we say new we call it the new the new testament but really the idea of it isn't anything new because even old testament times 
there were all there were that the idea of just love man or love God and love man that that very specific uh, phrase has come up earlier. You know, simple faith. Uh, Tracy, you and I in our in our uh, class yesterday morning, we were talking about Job's faith and why that set him apart to be to be that example that that everybody was looking at in that in that conflict there between uh, God and Satan and why it was why God felt confident to put Job up and it's simply because his faith was simple and that was before they had Ten Commandments that was that was when it was just simply doing just you know living well you know and and then but then we see the the law as the rules but it's really just it's there to help us to see where we've done wrong but it's not where we should focus and that's where the whole new the gospel starts to change is it starts to change our focus on what we look at getting away from our faults and looking more towards the positive so I, I don't want us to forget, though, the other use of the word law, um, because, you know, we have on the one hand our idea of law as in a code of behavior, which we would correlate with the Ten Commandments. But also in the Jewish way of thinking, it is also the the sacrificial system. What do you do when a child is born? How do you redeem that child? Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things like the Levitical laws. And so it was very interesting to me as we were reading this, that in Matthew chapter three, verse 15, John is saying to Jesus, oh, I, you know, I, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, we need to do this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Mm-hmm. So then I, I looked up that because that seemed like an odd way to word it to me, um, to fulfill righteousness. And um, so anyway, it was interesting because what it came up with was uh, it said a provision or means of justification. So this was God's way of fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies to bring us righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is an interesting thing, and maybe an important thing to point out too, is that even even before this point, even last week when we were talking about some of the things that happened with Jesus in his in his youth, even in his childhood, the laws were still being kept. He still went to the synagogue to be to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. He still. Um, you know, we, we, we saw that at, at 12 years old, he was taken and presented at the temple again and, and things happened. And so we can see that the law is not gone with Jesus. He's still doing it. His whole life is still, I don't know if guided by it is the right word, right way to say it, but it's still being demonstrated in his life. Let's put it that way. He's still demonstrating it. But yet then he brings he brings us this grace. And in my notes, I wrote down that trying to keep the law is equal. It's our efforts. We're trying to do the right thing. And there's nothing wrong with trying to do the right thing. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't take this as saying we could just do whatever you want to do. But trying to keep the law and if we're trying to keep the law in order to be saved, that equates to our efforts and our efforts will fail every time that's our effort whereas grace and truth that can only be a gift grace can only be a gift you can't earn grace that's not what grace means grace is something that you don't deserve um 
and truth is simply just self-existent it just it just exists uh you, you can't you can't earn truth either you you have to be pointed to it you have to be um it's something to embrace but uh, you certainly uh are not going to create truth on your own so as we get into then the ministry of john the baptist um, our listeners might remember we talked about how uh, elizabeth had been promised to have a son before Jesus, before Mary, um, and we saw we saw a little bit of of that and how how that baby was filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, to where he was able to recognize Jesus in Mary's womb before either one of them was ever born, and uh, so we get into this now. Um, ministry of john the baptist as he begins to prepare the way for jesus coming in and we're given a very specific time frame for this in luke 3 we're told it's in it was in the 15th year of tiberius caesar pontius pilate is governor of judea herod is the tetrarch of galilee his brother philip is the tetrarch of iturea and trachonitis uh Lysantis is the tetrarch of abilene and Annas and Caiaphas are high priests in the temple. So we can track this down to know exactly what time frame we're talking about there, which lends a credibility to it to me. Because, you know, especially the people who would have been reading the book of Luke or these other these other um, gospels, they'd be able to say, yeah, I was there. I know what time frame he's talking about. And they would probably... Certainly, people in the area would have heard about Jesus going around his, you know, his ministry, what he'd been talking about, and the gospel writers wouldn't be able to fake that, not in my opinion. Remember the story of C.S. Lewis walking with Tolkien, and Lewis at that point was still an atheist, and he talks about the fact that he, you know, they were steeped in this, in the sagas, excuse me, um, and the, the stories, you know, all the myth and legends from Northern Europe. Like those were the stories that inhabited their mind. And so he is saying to Tolkien at one point, well, aren't there all these myths about a God coming and dying, blah, blah, blah. And Tolkien says to Lewis, well, yeah, but Jesus Christ lived and died and was, you know, crucified under the Romans and and et cetera. And it was C.S. Lewis's conversion moment because Mm -hmm. he saw for the first time that it was a historical fact. Mm -hmm. I think it's that timestamp right here that validates everything exactly mm-hmm. yep yep yeah i agree and you know i i hear people say that try to say that the entire story of jesus is made up that he was an entirely made up person it just simply doesn't make sense you can't you can't write a story like this in a time when people would have been alive and and think that people wouldn't recognize it and be able to say yeah yeah either yes that happened or no it didn't happen and I know we're looking at this now 2,000 years later, and we have to come at it with a certain amount of trust, but this also isn't the only place that Jesus was ever written about. So um, so it does really give us um, uh, uh, that, that, that stamp, that, that, that stamp that of um, certainty that we can have that this actually happened. So it jumps right into John's ministry then as we because this is where the gospels start to enter in intersect a bit john with the others and so that that time frame was given to us by luke john starts pointing out that he gets confronted by uh, some priests and levites 
and they're asking him things like, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he's saying, no, that I'm not, I'm not him. And that's because there had been prophecies that Elijah would come before Messiah. And so it's, it's an interesting thing that, uh, they were, they were recognizing. And when I say they, I mean, like the, I'm sure it was probably the priests and Levites here who, who were asking him, are you Elijah? And John says, no, but in a figurative sense, the answer is actually yes, because he was, uh, this was predicted. Um, but as we see so often with prophecies, it's always in a, it's in a way that we're not expecting to see it. And what later we can go, Oh, I see what it's talking about. So it's more like he's in the spirit of Elijah. He's, He's there. He's the one preparing the way. He is the one who was who was pointed to, but he's not quote unquote Elijah. He's not quote unquote the prophet. And by the prophet, I think they were referring to Moses because they were sort of expecting another Moses like figure to show up. Um, but he's saying, no, that's not me. I'm not, you know, no, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not Moses. Basically, no, yeah, I'm it's, just... the temp- it's the temporal salvation mm-hmm. thing versus the eternal mm-hmm. salvation, which humans are continually confused by. Yeah, but he says, no, I'm not Elijah. But then he very the, the one of the next things we hear is he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He starts to quote Isaiah. He recognizes his role and recognizes that he's not the one that everybody need, really needs to be looking at. And it's pointed out by Mark and Luke that he's quoting from Isaiah. And so uh, we'll see a lot of that here as we as we go forward, that especially I think Matthew really makes a good point of pointing out the prophecies are being fulfilled through these um, through these ministries. Now, John's ministry is preaching repentance. Largely, it's preaching repentance and he is baptizing people. Now, it occurred to me a few years ago as I was reading through this that the process of baptism is never fully described in the Bible. The the word, you know, baptize, baptism, that sort of thing is kind of put in here as if you already understand what it means. And so, I had to go back and look at the word. The word itself, baptize, or is uh, from a it, it, the Greek is baptizo, uh, which means to plunge, uh, to make something completely wet. And so when he starts talking about I baptize with water, this is describing the action that he's doing. I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Sandal strap, I'm not worried of use. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so this is a this is sort of a new concept being brought into the picture as well, because we've seen the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but I don't think we ever specifically heard of him called the Holy Spirit. We heard of God's Spirit, we heard of the Spirit, we heard of Spirit, this sort of thing. And with our hindsight, we look back and we recognize that that was the Holy Spirit. But John here is really bringing out the concept of the Holy Spirit in a way that really hasn't been expressed before. And interestingly, when he says Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that's something that I think we as Christians sometimes maybe fail to recognize really what that means. Because if you consider that he says baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
That's talking about being completely immersed in the Holy Spirit, completely enveloped, completely covered. We think of the Holy Spirit a lot of times as an ethereal thing that maybe is kind of over there, you know, and maybe it reaches out with fingers and touches us and and gives us guidance and stuff. But the concept that John is giving is that the Holy Spirit is going to be all encompassing, all all enveloping. That's cool. I had not really noticed that until here. Um, and some of this is probably from some discussions I've had. Well, and Tracy was probably part of some of these in our men's group that we have of of the Holy Spirit. Because, we, like I said, we tend to think of the Holy Spirit as a thing. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. We forget that the Holy Spirit is a personality, is a person, is part of that Godhead. And not just this ethereal thing that you know we don't really get and of course i you know we don't really get it we don't but um the idea of being in entirely enveloped by the holy spirit is a concept that i think we miss and that's something that john was trying to get across here and i suspect at the time people didn't really know what he meant luke in in the discussion here he he adds a little bit into what john is preaching about he says that John was saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not say we have Abraham as our father. Remember, the Israelites had that nationalistic pride that that they held on to so much. It's probably a large part of what kept them uh, going while they were in the um, exile. I've been looking for a passage while we were talking and I finally found it. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus clearly identifies John the Baptist as the coming of Elijah. So, and he even quotes Malachi 3 verse 1. And he says, uh, then he says, among them that are born of women, there has not been raised one greater than John the Baptist. And he's already in that passage quoted the fact that, um, you know, one would come like Elijah who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. So, Mm -hmm. sorry, I just thought that was important because Jesus identifies him as that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that is important. You're absolutely right. In this one who will baptize, uh, Luke, like I was saying, Luke expands on some things here. He talks about repentance. Like we said, this was the this was the probably big the biggest message that uh that that John the Baptist was was presenting is repent, put aside your old ways, start thinking new. Um you know, recognize that your ways have been wrong and they're not, they're not, they're not correct. They're not what's going to save you. And so uh, set them aside. You know, what is repentance? Repentance is, you know, being sorry for it. Repentance is really, it's a rejection of the old ways and trying to put it behind you. Yeah. He says, um, put behind you or repent of your sins. Uh, he, He says the repentance and the remission of sins then I found this really interesting. He's talking to the leaders and he says, don't be saying among yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God could raise up from these stones children to Abraham. So like your genealogy doesn't mean anything to me. Um, and even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. 
And I, I've, of course, I've read that before, but it didn't really dawn on me what that's meaning. That means the Messiah has come. He's here now. And so you that are clinging to your old ways and have not repented of sin because you think you have it all together because you're children of Abraham, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. 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 Even, you know, at the very beginning, uh, it's it's a setup for for what's coming and old ways are just going to be gone and old thinking is going to be gone and your national pride is going to mean nothing. Your genealogy is going to mean nothing. Um, you You're not going to be able to float on what your mom and dad did, what grandpa and grandma did. You're going to need to have your own relationship with God. He says, uh, Luke, Luke uh, 317, he brings out something here. He says he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. That part sounds great. Um, you know, gathering the wheat. Uh, you know, that's a that's a positive image. But then he goes on, he says, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And Matthew expands on that a little bit. He says he will burn up the chaff. Um, that's uh, that's something for us to put into consideration and I don't want to get bogged down with it here, but of what happens to those who are not in the relationship with Jesus of what, you know, um, this would indicate that there's a burning up, that there's a, uh, a destruction. Um, and it, it is a warning. It is absolutely a warning that, that John is giving here as he's, as he's presenting the idea of Jesus. It's like, like, look, there is something coming and, uh, you want to be, you want to be on the right side of it so that you, you don't end up destroyed. So don't be just coasting here. Uh, embrace, embrace what is coming. Uh, the people, the people that are around then <laughs> they're as they're having their thoughts challenged, they're having their thoughts challenged and they're saying, well, then, then what are we supposed to do? You know, the way the Bible puts it is, or the new King James, what, what shall we do then? But right. so if everything that we've been doing is wrong, then what are we supposed to do? And John brings out these ideas of generosity. Uh, share with, pe- with those who don't have, you know, if you have if you have two tunics, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. If you've got some extra food, give some to somebody who doesn't have any, you know, you know, be show generosity. Um, I like the ta- my tunics. Yeah, yeah. I like having options in the morning when I get dressed. Yeah, uh, for tax collectors, be fair. Don't collect more than you're required to, uh, because the tax collectors at the time, as long as they, as long as they delivered what they were supposed to deliver to the government, they could they could do basically whatever they wanted to. The extra was theirs. Yeah, the extra was theirs. Yeah. So, but I think it stands to reason this was the state of their, of their society, of their of their. Um, nationality their country at this point that's how far they had had ventured away yeah well and which is why they need a total paradigm shift here because their whole their whole thought of what is good what is right what is acceptable was so off base that that now john is having to combat that and they're they're like what do we do and the simple answer is be fair, be equitable, be generous, just be a decent person as is a large part of if you're going of what you should quote unquote do. Um, cause then with the soldiers, don't be intimidating. Don't 
have false accusations. Don't be you know ascension. Pay. <laughs> yeah, don't abuse your position. Be content with your pay. That would imply to me more so more than just saying asking the government for more money. Probably this says to me there was a little strong arming and uh, maybe a little bit of a mafia tactics here. You know, Robert, you want to yeah. you want to protect your business. Give us a little cheddar, you know. So this whole section kind of reminded me of of two Bible texts where it's like like one is in the Old Testament and that's the, you know, does does God want rivers of oil? Does God want thousands of sacrifices? No, right? I have shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to, what was it, to love was it love justice and love mercy and walk humbly mm. with God? Mm-hmm. So, like, all of the religious folder roll is not that, the point, yeah. right? Right. Walk, walking with God in real life is the point, right? And then the other text that it reminded me is in, of is in, in James, where it says, true and unspotted religion before God the Father is this, that you help widows and orphans in their trouble and keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's kind of what came to mind when I was reading this particular section. Because it was like, it was like, don't overcomplicate it. Just be a dis- decent person and show God's love. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how simple it really is when you stop to think about it. Well, but isn't how this much... the book of John where later... Jesus says, um, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. So verse 15 says, and the people were in such great expectation that all men mused in their hearts as to whether or not John was the Christ. Yeah. So just seeing someone who calls them to repentance and someone who is um, asking them to live decently and not do <laughs> violence and tell the truth, etc. And they're like, is that the Messiah? Um, you know? Because yeah. we so rarely see real decency, real righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baffling, baffling that. Well, I say baffling, but is our society all that different? You know, yeah, that's not a good reflection on the powers that be at that because, time. Yeah, because I was thinking about this the other day. I don't remember who I was talking about it with, but you know, simple things like the way, the way we as a society view even death. I mean, we don't have literal gladiators in a ring, but we still we still perceive death at sometimes as a means of entertainment in some of our of some of our movies and storytelling. Uh, you know, uh, the video gaming, uh, that sort of thing. I'm not I'm not here to preach to you about what to watch and and you know, you know how to entertain yourself, but just the concept here that 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 we have that we're so callous to it. And that the people then had been very callous to it um, and had to be pointed out, uh, don't do that stuff because that's not good. You know, it's just none of this, the fact that this correction needs to happen and the fact that the fact that the contemporary humans immediately thought, oh, my goodness, this must be the savior. That does not reflect well on the spiritual (laughs) leadership of the time or the state of the nation or anything like that. But you got to wonder Mm-hmm. Would the reaction be any different today? Right. 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 And, and that's John's ministry is start thinking differently because you guys have it wrong. You've added 600 
more laws on top of 10, which is eight too many as already. You know? <laughs> I ran across a verse a while back. It was in the Old Testament. I don't remember where it was, but it said, blessed is he who turns away his eye from witnessing violence. Like we and we in our culture love violence. We do. Like, mm-hmm. I like action flicks. I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah. Um, and I really I like, like rom-coms. I like a really good plot. And very often a good plot involves, you know, a lot of violence. And and so I've just been trying to be more aware of that and just be a little bit more careful about what I watch in that regard. So that's all. Yeah. You know what yeah. I think, too, that, that speaks volumes that, you know, you can hardly turn on the TV. You can hardly turn on, you know, um, news and informational radio, NPR, what have you, without just hearing the violence that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, we're in the digital age and we can stream it from, you know, all over the world, I think what we're looking here is back in those times, it was right there in front of them too. That was, you know, what they were living in as well. And it's, um, yeah. it just speaks volumes to where we're at right now in, in society. Yeah. Yeah. Now, historians help me on this was was the gladiator stuff still happening at this time yep during the roman times especially so maybe not around jerusalem but it was it was happening and yeah kind of a kind of an israelite post where they were the stand-in government but i think in the heart of rome itself it was more there was more of that type of thing yeah so Mm -hmm. so i mean you had literal violence as entertainment just such a bizarre concept to me but sometimes i wonder how far away from it we are really um you know because even i used to think boxing was brutal and now we have you know mma fighting um which is you know even even more even more violent and brutal and you know right but at the same time there's there's rules of combat there's protective Mm -hmm. gloves there's doctors on hand they stop it if somebody gets injured right so it's a test of violence within limits that everyone has decided is fair which makes it a sport and not a fight right it's not you know it's it's not a it's not a brawl winner takes all losers shall lie on the ground to their last heartbeat with all their teeth over yonder right (laughs) right like like yes but no i get it yeah yeah but but we do enjoy the the more the you know I mean an MMA fight where you, if somebody does, isn't bleeding by the end of it you're like well that wasn't a very good fight you know <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just gonna say I like rodeo <laughs> right yeah right <laughs> just, just being honest yeah. no hey hey <laughs> oh one day Jesus comes from Galilee and we're told specifically he came from Nazareth which is which is interesting and I think it's also important because prophecies had told us that G, that the Messiah was going to come some told us that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem and some told us that he was going to come from Nazareth and now we can see how that works because you know if people had been looking at those prophecies and trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen they i think probably they would have been confused but now you see oh as we look back ah he was born in bethlehem but when he starts his ministry he's coming from nazareth and so all both of all those prophecies are are fulfilled in that but he comes down to be baptized by john and i think if i was in john's position i would probably have the same reaction because john is like 
I need to be baptized by you. How in the world is it that you're coming to me to be baptized? I mean, what a humbling, humbling experience to 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 have the Messiah come and and want to be baptized. And at this stage of it, I don't know if we know that John really knew Jesus's nature of, I mean, being God and man, because actually we are not even certain that until this moment that John was recognizing that it was Jesus who was the Messiah, because as we come later on, um, we see the point that he recognizes it in something that he had been foretold. But he is certainly recognizing Jesus's uh, uh, stature as, as an important figure, and that that he, John, is this is the guy. You know, this is the one he's been talking about. This is the one he's been there to present and and uh, foretell. And so when he shows up one day, wanting John to do this service. Uh, John is astounded by it. He doesn't even, it doesn't really even compute with him that Jesus would have come to him for, for this. But Jesus, he says, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That was, I think, Amy, I think that was a phrase that you had brought out earlier. Yeah, Things I just had... wanted to point out, like, he is he is definitely fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies and the way that Israel had been trained, you know, to, to go to the temple services so that they hopefully would understand when the Messiah came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting in, you know, we, we, we understand in hindsight that Jesus never sinned, and we tend to think of baptism as our cleansing from sin. So it's interesting to think that Jesus still did this as, I guess, as an example, something for us to to do, um, even though he, I mean, did he need it? You know, I don't, I, I can't see that he needed it, but we need it. And living as an example for us, he went through it. So, I'm not probably going to articulate this as well as I would like, but, you know, in Romans chapter five, Paul talks about the first Adam and the second Adam and that sort of thing. You know, the, the Messiah um, yeah. is a fulfillment of, of all of that. And he is in one sense taking, since he is taking on the nature of man, he is almost in effect recreating mankind through this. And so is he somehow in this act taking all of mankind into a new beginning with God? He himself doesn't need it. You're right. He never sinned. So it's not repentance, but is it somehow part of him coming and taking all of mankind down? Is it the beginning of him taking man into the grave and bringing him back up, bringing mm-hmm. us back up? Mm-hmm. Well, and this is something that we rec- recognize now, something we recognize now as uh, the 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 symbolism of baptism, and so you remember when I was saying that that word baptizo literally means to plunge, and here we get like probably the best description of what was happening because it talks about Jesus coming up out of the water, so it would imply or would 
uh, flat out tells us Jesus was immersed in water because this is a symbolism of our death, burial, and resurrection. So as we're laid down, that is the symbolism of us dying, or as we go under, we're dying and buried. And then as we come back up, we are resurrected. We are new. We are renewed. Well, maybe not in a literal sense. It is It is our... Uh, it's our demonstration of that of understanding that concept that this is this is the beginning of something new. This is the beginning of a renewal. And so, yeah, I think I think, Amy, you're you're probably on with something with that where in Jesus's case, it's sort of a look, we're going to we're going to have a new relationship now that's going to be, uh, you know, it's something that he'd been working for, I think, through the entirety of history. But now it's being demonstrated in a way that. Uh, it hadn't necessarily before. The New Testament, and especially in the writings of Paul, he keeps talking about how God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And so I just think this has to be part of it. This has to be part of that reconciliation, a new standing that we have um, because of everything that Christ did. Mm-hmm. Yep. So as Jesus comes back up, then the Gospels describe an event that happens here and it says the holy spirit descended like a dove uh and luke luke comes right out and says in bodily form so i guess the holy spirit put its made itself look like a dove and came and landed on jesus um and then a literal voice from heaven which is something well, since Sinai, I don't know that we've seen anything quite like this, but a voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is maybe the first time and maybe the most articulated concept that we get of the Trinity in a way that hasn't been really expressed before because we have uh, Jesus, the son present in, in a physical way. We have the Holy spirit showing up in a physical way. And then we have the voice of the father coming from heaven in, in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, and so we can, here we get this, this, maybe it's the only time we ever really see it. This, this, convocation i'm gonna call it of all three heads of the trinity in one place at one time being expressed in a way that the people who were present were able to to witness i think we see it a little bit in genesis it's harder to see in genesis mm, but you know it talks true. about the spirit moving across the waters and mm-hmm. and you know we have god speaking and i don't know it just it seems like we're starting to see the trinity right then um, what I'm wondering about, though, is what did they see? Like, did they see a dove? Is that really what they saw? That would seem to be. I mean, that's what Luke says. Now, Luke, I don't, Luke wasn't, well, I don't, I don't know if any of the gospel writers were there now that I'm trying to think about it, because it says I know, like a dove. So I was just says wondering. like a dove. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in this case, I. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That is interesting. It's not. It is. It's not very specific. We've oh. always seen it depicted. Oh, what am I missing? It is, 
it is specific. Wait a second. Okay. Because in Luke, I was looking at it in Matthew, but in Luke 3.22, it says, in a bot in bodily mm. form like a dove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so yes. I guess I was putting that before that that Luke points that out. Now, but like I was saying, I don't think any of these any of the Bible writers were actually there. And so, you know, they're they're probably having to relay things that have been told to them. We do know that a couple of the disciples specifically, when we'll get into it next week, but a couple of the spy disciples specifically came from being followers of John the Baptist. And so certainly they probably were present and were relaying the story. But yes, it would seem that in a physical way, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, as a dove, I suppose we could say, and 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 lighted on Jesus. But uh, then John in his gospel, though, he has a slightly different perspective of all of it because as Jesus shows up, John... As, as Jesus is coming to the water, John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The other Gospels don't really point that out, but that's something that John is presenting, uh, which is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen with Jesus. But at the same time, it's looking back. And anybody who heard John say that should have had some understanding of what was talking about there, that as Jesus is coming up, John is saying, this is the sacrifice. This is the this is the the one that's going to atone for for your sins. All of that temple ritual that you guys have been going through in sacrificing a lamb. Uh, that's this. This is this is him. This is what that represented. And it would seem that, like I was saying before, that this is the point. Possibly where John really recognized Jesus as Messiah, because it talks about how he, John talks about how John the Baptist had been told by God that the one he saw the Spirit descend on would be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The baptism scenario here is the beginnings of it marks the beginning of Jesus's um, ministry on earth, which is amazingly short. But this whole buildup of John getting ready to hand off the baton, so to speak, to Jesus, is, is just a very interesting story of, of the preparation that the people needed to be able to start to hear and accept the messages that Jesus was going to present, to start to get a concept of what Jesus's ministry was going to be for, what his role here was going to be, the idea that Jesus is the sacrifice that they'd all been moving towards. Um, interestingly, my Bible points out, it just, you know, has references in John uh, 129, where it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It references me back actually to the first um, the Passover lamb. So in Exodus 12, take this lamb, slaughter it, and put, you know, put the blood of it on your doorpost for it. You know, it's your protection. It's the one that's sacrificed in your place. And then it refers me to Isaiah 53. And it uh, is pointing out verse 11. Um, and when he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, 
By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So the Old Testament is full of these passages that talk about this coming of this lamb who will intercede for the people. And, you know, I just, I really want to point that out because I feel like it's important to understand that a lot of Christians believe, you know, in a way that, that they're embracing grace when they ignore the Old Testament. They mm. think that, that they're saying, I affirm Jesus only by looking only at the New Testament. But you can't really understand the ministry of Jesus unless you look at what he was trying to fulfill. Right. Well, yeah, it, to, to ignore the Old Testament is to ignore 4,000 years of history and 4,000 year, years of ministry that Jesus was performing for the people at that time. And how it's all, yes, you know, yes. I mean, Jesus is supposed to be the fulfillment of that. But, you know, we'll we'll read as we go that he wasn't, he said himself, Jesus said himself, I didn't come to abolish that stuff. I came to fulfill it. And so if you're going under, to understand what that means, you've got to understand that Old Testament process and and what was being pointed to. Just one more thing. Right at the end of the book of Luke, uh, it says, let's see, Luke 24, 27, Jesus is the one that they're talking about. It says, in beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them from the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, all the things concerning himself. And so he lived very much in light of the Old Testament prophecies. Very much so. Very much so. And we've seen that. We've seen that. We've seen that through his birth and childhood. And we're seeing it now and in the beginning of his ministry that that um, how he was doing, doing all the steps, making everything fall together the way it was supposed to happen, the way it had been predicted it would. Um, any more thoughts on the ministry of John the Baptist or the baptism of Jesus and the beginning of Jesus's ministry? I would like a good recipe on how to cook locusts. <laughs> we didn't really talk about olive oil. Yeah, we didn't really talk too much about John and what he. Boy, that was a rough dude, man. Is that like a quick saute or? <laughs> yeah, natural, you know, Himalayan salt, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I am wondering why that was pointed out in the in the Gospels that he was out there eating locusts and honey. And I've heard some people try to say, no, he wasn't eating bugs that he was eating some kind of a seed pod i'm like well, the be yeah the beans from a locust tree yeah i, I have no idea yeah just, simple yeah. man simple taste but <laughs> i i think a lot of times the simplest answer is the best answer and i think he was eating bugs <laughs> right it, and hey problems. did they have did they chew their cud or have fins they and are specific or like how do we locusts are specifically said it was uh, a clean meat it yeah, considered clean. It's specifically oh, pointed out in in Leviticus as a clean thing to eat. I actually so, did not know that. Locusts and grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. Yep, you can eat them if you want to. You can I even. Mean, it gives you a, something to pick that your just, teeth with afterwards. The so. rest of my life has just opened up before me as a creative plane of culinary <laughs> bliss. Hey, some people are trying to say now that there's more protein. Pound for pound, more protein in bugs than there is in beef. Is so, that, is that person? Are those people? Are they related to Klaus Schwab by any chance? Because I feel like they might be. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Okay, you should. <laughs> Maybe I'll look them up later. All I know is I don't want any bugs. locusts for a Christmas present. Hint, hint. 
chocolate dipped, candied, uh, deep fried, deep fried locusts. You know, you, maybe some people did the deep fried turkey for Thanksgiving. You could do the deep fried locusts. And some of the footage online of people trying to deep fry their turkeys was hilarious. <laughs> Who are these people, and why are they allowed to reproduce? Shouldn't you have to pass like a I can deep fry a turkey without? Sending everything up in fireball before you're allowed to have children. It should be like a genetic proof. <laughs> well, maybe they do it before they have children and then they can't afterwards. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well, we're off the rails now. So, <laughs> all right, folks. Well, for next week, you may have noticed that. Well, I'm going to come right out and say now that as we go through the Gospels, we're going to be bouncing back and forth through them. And so uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say for a large part, just continue studying the Gospels as we as we try to navigate the chronology of it. Um, I'm going to say for the for the next week, read Luke or excuse me, read Matthew chapter four, Luke chapters four and five. Um, we're going to read some in Mark. We're going to read basically the last half of Mark chapter one. And we are going to read uh, about the last half of John 1 and into some of John uh, 2. Because we are going, and I'll tell you right now, we're going to talk about um, Jesus' time in the wilderness and the temptation by Satan. We're going to read about some of his uh, uh, choosing of his disciples and apostles. And we're going to read about a bit of the beginnings of Jesus' ministry before we probably, well, we'll probably cut it off before we get into um the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be tricky navigating that chronology, but there's so much to talk about in the in the Gospels that we're not going to be hurting for uh, material at all. Clearly, so, if today is any example. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, just be reading, uh, read the Gospels, folks. That's going to be it, basically. But the big thing is probably going to be Matthew 4, Luke 4 and 5. And then touch, touch a little bit there in Mark and John. And if you just bounce, you know, look back and forth through the pages, you'll be able to kind of follow where things are going. There. And we're going to try to, we're going to try to nav navigate that and see what we see what we uh, what we learn. So while you are uh, reading and studying, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. We'd love to hear any thoughts or insights you have on the things we've talked about. Remember you can look us up on Facebook. Uh, be sure to uh, share the podcast with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.